0: hanging at the william hill Sportsbook book inside silver sevens it's co-fielding company
1: silver sevens on a thursday we get a chance to talk to michael felder and get ready for the week in college football but let's look back first michael tell me what you thought of alabama and georgia last week
2: i think we're uh, obviously they're on a collision course um the big thing for me Georgia still didn't have to throw the football. And if they don't have to throw the football, they're not going to throw the football. And I think that's something worth noting because it is still a game where you're going to have to throw to play teams that are on your level. The problem is we're seeing there aren't that many teams on their level. So maybe they can avoid it until they have to play Alabama. And you're not going to be good at things you don't practice. And if you don't practice it, I don't know how you're going to make that happen against Bryce Young, who we know can push the ball down the field to, whether it's Slade Bolden or John Mechie or Jameson Williams or whoever, and to turn it over to Alabama, I think Alabama sent a message to the country. And I don't think it's a, a I don't think it was a pointed message to Lane Kiffin or a pointed message to even Kirby Smart, but I think it was a mes- a message nationally that hey, we can run the football. And if you need, if we're gonna need to run the football a lot, we can do it. Um, like honestly, quick question, uh, Steve. How many – what was – What do you know Brian Robinson's career carries, uh, his high total for carries in a game?
1: I don't. He must have eclipsed it, though.
2: So, yeah, his career high was 13. Wow. And then he ran for 36 times. That's not, (laughs) oh, well, Ole Miss doesn't have a strong defensive front. That's, oh, we're going to force the ball to our running back and make sure that he gets it. They ran 12 personnel, one uh, running back, two tight ends. They ran – and, by the way, one of their tight ends – is Kendall Randolph, who is a four-star offensive tackle that wears number 85. (laughs) So they forced the issue. They wanted to make sure people realized, just so you know, we can run the football and still play the old-school way and dominate in that fashion. What do you think
1: of Kiffin going for it on fourth down so often and then afterwards is like, uh, hey, it's like blackjack, you know, uh, kind of talking about gambling, and uh, we weren't going to go in there and play scared.
2: I I like it I I respect it I think that he he's in the same mind frame that I am when it comes to playing Nick Saban which is you have to make him uncomfortable and he did the problem was they did the problem isn't that he went for it on fourth down the problem is they didn't convert and they made a short porch for Alabama a couple times but the reality of it is is Alabama was going to score on those drives no matter what so you better at least you got to shoot all your bullets right like you can't What's what's the point? What's the point? You show up with a with a revolver, you got six shots, and if you keep five of them in the in the in the chamber and you only shoot it once, you're not even trying. And at least he tried and at least he went out and did that versus other teams. And we'll see it when Alabama plays Arkansas. We'll probably see it when Alabama plays LSU. A bunch of teams that walk in and play um, I don't like to call it scared football, but they play football where they want to not get blown out as bad as they could get blown out.
1: Uh, in Vegas, when we talk betting, and especially on our show, we talk about value on plays, and sometimes, uh, like in the fight game, you can have a, a bet where a fighter is minus 500. you got to bet 500 to win 100, and we can say, hey, you know what, there's actually value there because that should be, like, minus 2,700. How about mm-hmm. this prop that's been put up? Georgia, Alabama to win the national championship, or you can take the rest of the country to the field. Georgia and Alabama are minus 240, so you got to bet 240 to win 100.
2: Is that a bad bet? I don't think so. I mean, you're gonna win, so that's always good. <laughs> and at the end of the day, yeah, you got to bet a lot more to win a little bit less. But at the end of the day, the the way that things shape themselves, like, what you, would you rather bet a hundred to win ten thousand on BYU or whatever it is? Sure, that sounds fantastic. Except they're not gonna win, right? So you're gonna lose. So you lo- Like, I'd rather spend two hundred and forty dollars to make an extra hundred dollars to get three hundred forty dollars back to yourself. I'd rather have that come back to me than lose, just outright lose $100.
1: Michael Felder, at In the Bleachers, he's the college football expert from Stadium. All right, well, balance beyond Georgia and Alabama, I think, is amazing. It's making for a fun college football season. Mm-hmm. You can you can read it in the lines. Uh, Michigan is a top-10 team. They're coming off a, a whooping of Wisconsin. They're playing a, a left-for-dead Nebraska team on the road, and Michigan's only laying three-and-a-half.
2: Yeah, I, I think that speaks to – what. I think there's a couple things. One – how lucky can you be, right? If you're Michigan, like Wisconsin, man, do they suck? And it's not that they're bad. Their defense is really, really good. I love what they do defensively, but they're they they're a turnover machine. And not just Graham Mertz. I mean, watching them when you muff a punt and give the ball to the other, to Michigan and who's the team we're talking about, you give Michigan the ball inside the 10, you've messed up really bad. You did it wrong. And for Michigan, I don't think that's going to happen to them against Nebraska. So that's going to be very interesting. Nebraska obviously coming off a humongous win where they just took Northwestern behind the woodshed. And so I think Nebraska is figuring out who they are, finding playmakers, figuring out what they can do. I think defensively, Nebraska over the course of the season has been pretty good. I thought they looked pretty good after the first two or three series against Michigan State. They really put the clamps on them. Thought they looked really good against Oklahoma. They put the they they really shut down that Oklahoma offense, which has been struggling. That's another story. Uh, so I think we've got a, a ball game where we're going to see if Michigan. Like I want to see how committed Michigan is to pushing the ball vertically down the field. I thought they did some of that. Like their high. We talked about it with Brian Robinson, but think about it with Cade McNamara. His, the high passing game that he had was the game against Wisconsin, and they pushed the ball down the field vertically four or five times, which makes you have to cover a little more of the field than usual and create some seams and create some space in the intermediate, which is where they want to hit you. So I think that's going to be interesting going into this Nebraska game. I think that um, Nebraska still has to figure out what they can do offensively, and obviously against Northwestern, they got very right. So we'll see what happens, how that translates, how that carries over to the game against Michigan.
1: What do you think about uh, another Big Ten game? Iowa, one and a half against Penn State. This is tough
2: and i think the thing that i've kind of figured out and what i've settled in on is uh kofa what i've settled in on if penn, and penn state does something that most teams don't do they are or, excuse me most teams that are in their realm don't do or most teams with their afflictions don't do most teams that aren't really most teams don't want to throw the ball down the field but penn state is committed to pushing the ball vertical and I think that part of that commitment, is it, it's a it, I don't think symbiotic is the right word, um, but I'll use it because I am not a smart man. Um, <laughs> I think they've got a symbiotic relationship between their 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 past game and their run game. They cannot run the football. They're not good at it. But there is a humongous difference between being good at running the foot. But there's a humongous difference between being one dimensional and being bad at running the football. So they're not good at running the football, but what they do is create running opportunities by throwing the ball down the field. You have to cover 40 yards down the field every play against Penn State, which means you're taking two, three, sometimes four players out of the passing game, or excuse me, out of the running game, and that creates opportunity for them to run the football. So if they can, and this is the, the this is the way that I've kind of you know talked myself into this logic, and a little bit of kind of hedge my bet personally, but... I think if they can complete 30% of their passes over 20 yards, that's not a lot. You throw the ball over 20 yards 10 times in a game, you complete 3 of them, I think they're going to win this football game. But for Iowa, a team that plays heavy zone coverage, if you can make them complete under, you know, if you can make them go 2 out of 10, 1 out of 10, now you're in a position where you have you can really win this football game and take some pressure off a bench of Spencer of Uh
1: Red River shootout. Uh, yeah. Oklahoma 3 Against Texas, does Oklahoma get it together here and put
2: a whooping on Texas? Their defense is uh, Jekyll and Hyde. The monster is their rush defense. They're really good at stopping the run. What is Texas good at? Bijan Robinson running the ball over the field. That's the one where that's going to be good on good, strength on strength. And then the other one, I don't know if it's Jekyll or Hyde. It doesn't matter. The point is, you know what? Screw it. We're we're throwing the Jekyll and Hyde out. Let's go with two-face. Harvey Dent, I know what that is. I understand that. So the messed up face that got burned with the acid? That's their passing cut. That's their passing game. Their passing defense. <laughs> They're very bad at it. They're eighty-first in pass defense. They cannot cover anyone, and they miss tackles in the open field all the time. The good-looking face, the good-looking Aaron Eckhart, the good-looking um, Tommy Lee Jones, the good stuff. That's their rush defense. They're number seven. They have the same stats as Georgia as a rush defense in terms of plays over ten yards, plays over twenty yards. They are phenomenal at stopping the run. It's it gets really ugly just like 2 Face, when you get to the, the 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 passing game because they give up plays bad zone coverage they give up plays bad um bad tackling they give up plays with miscommunications that leave guys wide open so there's a lot they got technique issues in terms of playing press but then never getting hands on a guy and then looking for the ball when you should be playing hands they do all these little things wrong and I think if, Oklahoma, excuse me, if Texas can throw on Oklahoma, Texas can win. If they cannot throw the football, then they are going to lose.
1: Michael Felder, college football expert, stadium up with Cofield and company here, Silver 7's on a Thursday. I like that you've mentioned Georgia multiple times because uh, people may look at the score last week and that's all they looked at with yep. Georgia and Arkansas. And I noticed that you were uh, ranting the other day on Twitter about people just looking at box scores.
2: Yes. <laughs> what happened,
1: man? Are you okay?
2: I'm fine. I just... <laughs> I had somebody try to talk to me about Jake Hayner and Fresno State in the game against Hawaii and how they should have benched him and got it. He had six, he had five turnovers. And I was like, Yeah, did you watch the game? And they're like, this is my first time seeing Fresno State play. And he's not impressive. And I was like, hey man, he played on one leg and he's played on one leg for what, a game and a half, almost two games. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Did he make he made two very bad throws? Absolutely. The rest of those throws, one, Give Hawaii credit. Great breaks on the ball, and a couple of those interceptions, and then the final interception. Hey, guess what? When you put the ball on your wide receiver's hands in his frame, and you could do that, and then he drops it, and it goes right to the defensive back. That's not on the quarterback. So I just got mad because people, when you watch a box score, doesn't tell the the story of what, how these interceptions are made. I feel the same way about Iowa. They create a lot of those. They create those interceptions based on based upon pressure, breaks on the ball, playing zone coverage, being able to look at what they're doing. So that just, I just got very frustrated by that because people look at a box score, they think they know the story of the game or the story of a team. And if you watch, if you've seen Fresno State one time, I don't think you should get to talk about it, right? Because you don't know anything. But right. with respect to Georgia, I am curious to see them moving the ball. I want to see one. We got to see JT Daniels healthy, right? Yeah. Like I think that's important. And and who knows? Because uh, I still want to see what happens with Don Blaylock. I still want to know what happens with how they're able to move the ball through the air. I, we're all in love with their tight end, but we still need to see um, who's the Vegas kid they have. Um, Washington, yeah. the, the tight end. Yep. You wanna, I want to see him healthy too. He could be a big, a big asset. So I don't think Georgia's a finished product, but I also think they're very content with where they are right now. And I honestly, I don't like that. I don't like that they're happy with where they are because they should be so much more.
1: So almost peaking – uh, too early, uh, Texas A&M. I I don't know if they've ever peaked this year. Um, are, are they are they gonna are they gonna come up with something good here against Alabama
2: and fight them? See, and this is this could, like I don't. You think let, let me, I'm gonna flip it back on you? I'm gonna topsy turvy it. Do you think that Jimbo Fisher is gonna take having bring in an aggressive game plan the way that Lane Kiffin did? No. Yeah, same. So we're okay. We're, we so we've settled that's that, pro- <laughs> and that's the problem. You know, I think I think we'll look at what Lane
1: did, and and if he was going to be aggressive. Then back off a little bit, like ah, it didn't work.
2: Which is that's the, that's the worst part because if you're you, if you're not going to be aggressive, you're not going to take the fight to Alabama. Then you don't have a chance. You you lost the game before you 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 lost the game before you do calisthenics.
1: <laughs> what a mess! What a total mess! Uh, interesting game out this way. Um, what do you think is going to happen with BYU? They're winning a lot of close games. I don't know how good yeah. they are, but they got Boise, and the the spreads around five,
2: five and a half. I, I think Boise is completely like their mind is just broken. Yeah. Um, I think between what happened with UCF and then you go into the B, the game against the, the game against uh, Oregon or not Oregon uh, Oklahoma State, where they won that football game, and to have it taken away by the referees, I felt I thought was criminal because they blew the whistle too early on that J.L. Skinner scoop and score, and I just don't know how they recover from that mentally. It's been very frustrating to see them handle it. Obviously, they seem to bounce back against Utah State, but then we see this weekend they just kind of really got manhandled. And so I'm I don't know, Bachmeyer's development has been troubling to me. It seems like he was better when he was younger. And I I know this is sort of a, a quasi-rivalry game from both being in the Mountain West, from being in the WAC, from also uh, obviously being two of the marquee G5 programs or, or what have you, I, I think BYU is better. I think their run game with Algiers is better. I think that they've got a defense that does play salty that's going to force you to beat them, which is going to be a problem for for Boise. So I, I do love, but on the same time, I love Khalil Shakir. I think he's amazing. I want him to get the ball every play. But I think BYU's just got a few more horses in the stable.
1: We got to close on something very important with Michael Felder here on Cofield and Company. Just a thought that you had: you were mentioning uh, Clemson and mm-hmm. some players who have just not bounced back. And I wonder how many places around the country uh, have felt the long-term effects of COVID and yeah. players just not getting back to normal, even you know six or nine months after they had COVID.
2: Yeah, Clemson has uh, two guys: uh, Xavier Thomas and Justin, Fer- uh, Justin Foster. Uh, both two defensive ends, two guys that had like pro- Xavier Thomas was supposed to be, you know, one of the first round draft picks. Like he was supposed to be in there with Kayvon Thibodeau as a guy that was going to get picked first overall, possibly. And they both contracted COVID-19 a year ago, missed the season a year ago, lost between, I think, 30 and 40 pounds a year ago. Man. And when's the last time you heard either of their names on a broadcast, really? Like they just they're in the game and they're trying, but they're not, they're shells of what they used to be. And so it's, it's very real. And it's, it's scary. And it's, I hope the best for those guys, but yeah, this is one of those things where these guys aren't just bouncing back. Like it's, it's, it's a very serious, like try to, I, they're probably going to have to go through, they're probably going to have to take advantage of that super senior role to try to get themselves back because they had a fight with the virus, the fight with the side effects and the, and, and the other symptoms that came with uh, COVID nineteen, and then they had to slowly try to get themselves back in shape to play Division one football, and that's not an easy thing to do.
1: Uh, Mike, before we get out of here, tell people about your uh, your podcast. I, you can name anyone you want, or all of them. It might take another five minutes to name all of them. It's crazy.
2: I'll go really quick. So, folks, you can check us, check me out at Tape Don't Lie. We actually have uh, Lauren Brownlow on talking about becoming a smarter football fan to learn. And the goal of the show is to to build a smarter football fan. We got a lot of players, people in media talk, coming on to talk football. Uh, hand in the dirt if you like things that are silly. It is very silly. We have a very fun time there. It's a gardening podcast about football. And check me out um, every week. I'm on Campus Insiders on Stadium and. Uh, If you want to see someone edit video really bad, uh, check out itsfelder.bulletin.com. I edit all the – I shoot and edit all the video myself, Cofield. I love it. I promise there's no one worse in the game than me.
1: I might be. I might be worse. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enjoy the games this week. And don't flip out on anybody this week. Calm down. Calm down.
2: I'm trying my best, man. Thank you so much for having me.
1: That's Michael Felder, our college football insider. Later this hour, we turn our attention to the NFL. Bears in town to take on your Las Vegas Raiders. Tom Waddle, the former Bears receiver, will be with us. Seahawks and Rams here at Silver Sevens. Bottles of beer to 77 cents. And a reminder they have these great gift giveaway days. Thursday is tech drawings. You have to be part of A Play. But in the evenings between 7 and 10, they call out a new winner every 30 minutes. Tonight, it's an Apple Watch. Next week, it's a 43 inch smart TV. Ring doorbell later in the month. Nintendo Switch. So get into a play here at Silver Sevens.
0: Watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens and grab your seventy-seven cent Bud Light bottles. Yee-haw! Let's go! The football frenzy. Hey,
3: heart so down there?
0: Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company.
1: We got Thursday Night Football coming up. NFL, Rams and Seahawks. Big, big game. Not going to gripe about integrity of competition. (laughs) And a short week. Uh, it's, it's funny when it's since uh, you know, he and the Jags people aren't worried so much but on a short week you know you got think up players it's hard to bounce back for a Thursday but hey them's the breaks so they're going to play uh, right now here at William Hill at Silver Sevens you play the money line Rams minus 135 Seahawks coming back at plus at 115 if you're smart well you can debate this but uh, spread is two and a half on the Rams side Obviously, plus 2.5 for the Seahawks. Hearing around town, a lot of Rams action, yet the number is not moving. Like 75 to 80% of the cash and the tickets on the Rams, but the number is not moving towards the Rams. That's always interesting. And the total is 54. We'll give you some total trends a little bit later on. By the way, more betting advice. And thanks to Michael Felder for popping on on college football. We do a little betting with Michael, but our real betting guru on college football and certainly on the NFL will get his Thursday night football leans. Uh, Brad Powers is up in about an hour and twenty minutes. So yeah, Rams two and a half. The total is fifty-four down here at William Hill, and there's also uh, thirty more bets in terms of props. If you uh, you want to bet Stafford and Russell Wilson yards, you can you can do that. Score in the first five and a half minutes. Let's see, Matt, Matt Stafford, uh, total completions over under 25-and-a-half, so a ton of props as well. So uh, Adam Hill will be along in just a little bit as he's been out at Raiders practice and availability all day, and the big news today is some changes on the offensive line. I don't want to spoil what he has, but it looks like Alex Leatherwood, after four games, is going to be on the move. Now, will he be on the field? We'll find out. Because technically, if you are just going by ratings, right, I don't think you have to just use ratings to realize that the Raiders have struggled outside of Colton Miller on the offensive line. If you go by the ratings, the lowest-ranked dudes on the line are Leatherwood and new center Andre James. Amazingly, the second-highest-rated guy on the line is actually another fill-in Remember that Denzel Good was going to play right guard, but he went down, torn ACL out for the season. So Jermaine Illuminor, he hasn't been rated very highly. I think uh, to this point, amongst guards in the NFL, he's like 48th, which ain't great, but through four weeks, PFF has James and Leatherwood as bottom of the heap. James is 33rd out of 33 centers, and I forget what the total number is on – Tackles, but it's something in the same range, like 76. As Leatherwood's been 76 out of 76. So we'll find out if they are doing some shifting. Does it mean James and Leatherwood are both out? Is Nick Martin in at a guard or center? Is John Simpson out? He hasn't, you know, he hasn't graded real well either. He was a, uh, a mid round pick last year by the Raiders out of Clemson. So that's coming up. We'll get an update on that uh, inside of about 10 minutes. You know, something I hadn't thought about. Give me a little crunch, crunch. <laughs> Thank you. Always got to get the transition sounder. Otherwise, it's not professional, Ari. Come on now. Something I hadn't thought about yesterday. You know, the price on – well, let me, let me go back to the front end of the story. Stefan Gilmore is – you see uh, guys like uh, uh, Rappaport, right? Ian Rappaport sends out a message. I think it was on Tuesday night. Stephon Gilmore is about to be released. And you're like, released? Now he's just ready to come back and play but you're talking about a high-level guy, a former defensive player of the year, released? Well, some of it has to do with, yeah, health, but more importantly, he wants a big deal, and the Patriots have moved on. So he does fetch a sixth-rounder, which still, uh, still seems very, very low. Now, there are some teams that really need defensive backs, and the Panthers did, and the Panthers have now added Gilmore... They've now added the former number nine pick in the draft from a couple of years ago and in, in C.J. Henderson, so they've really boosted the uh, the depth in the ranks at defensive back. Well, the team that might be the most desperate for a defensive back, they just added Richard Sherman, and you saw the Patriots go at him like every time they could against the Buccaneers. The Bucks really need help at defensive back, and I would think that Gilmore – the addition of Gilmore would have been a freaking coup, and I saw some people speculating today that one, the price was pretty low for Gilmore uh, because maybe Belichick was one trying to keep it away or keep it keep him away from the Buccaneers and and go even go even further and actually send him to the same division. I mean, would Belichick do that? Is that Beneath him is out of the realm of possibility. Is something he would pull off? Not really. So we'll see if there's any more follow-up on that. But yes, Stephon Gilmore going from the Patriots to the same division as Tampa Bay, but not to TB12's team. We love John Gruden press conferences. I mean, there there's always some bizarre moment. I think our favorite part is him snapping off on part of the company, Adam Hill. He had the rant early in the week about the visitor's locker room at SoFi. He wanted to meet the guy who laid it out. He didn't like the layout. It's a funny guy. The other day he was talking about Joey Bosa and horses and knocking people off of horses. That was good. This Brandon Staley guy is interesting because, you know, we have a lot of nerds working at the station who love numbers, and they know who, they know who they are. Don't get all mad. I think, in a way, Brandon Staley – carries their spirit of analytics he's this is the chargers coach he's been going for it on a lot of fourth downs he ran that crazy fake punt which almost worked except for the fact that hunter renfro ran like the length of the field to make a tackle and jar the ball loose he really seems to be grasping the the modern day deal on analytics and that includes pass versus run this is really interesting here this is a clip of him talking the other day. He's got a little Parcells of him, and I only mean it this way. Uh, if you've listened to Bill Parcells over the years, he likes to say okay a lot. I think the vast time actually cleaned this up. Uh, Brandon Staley says okay about every six words. But listen to him here. This is a guy who favored the pass. The Chargers don't run it until it's really necessary. And by the way, when the Chargers ran it was after the Raiders were pinning their ears back in the second half and really putting a lot of pressure on Herbert, and then they kind of used the Raiders' aggression against him, and all of a sudden there were gaping holes everywhere for Eckler and for Roundtree. Listen to how he explains why the run game is important, but it's the pass game that's more important, but you still got to run the ball. Go ahead, Brandon Staley.
0: You don't need a good running game to be a good play-action team, but what you need the running game for is the physical element of the game. There's a physicality to the game that's real. If you're just a passing team, okay, there's a physical element to the game that the defense doesn't have to respect. And that's the truth. Because the data will tell you, you don't need a run game to play pass. That's not, you don't need that. But what the running game does for you, it brings a physical dimension to the football game. And what the run game does that the passing game does not is the running game forces the defense to play blocks and to tackle.
1: Okay, so he he said it four different ways, but yes, there's a physicality to the run game. You don't need it necessarily to set up the passes, but it's the physicality that matters most. All right, we are like 10 minutes away from talking to one of the uh, big radio stars in Chicago, Tom Waddle. Will give us the Bears side of the Bears Raiders game. He's actually going to be here in town over the weekend doing his radio show. Uh, that is on the way, and uh, we'll get you a better idea what's going on with the shifting all over that Raiders
0: offensive line. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you. Football Frenzy. Dial 702 577 2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577 2600. Cofield and Company is live at the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino.
1: So it's looking like the shift in the offensive line for the Raiders. Well, nothing's going to change at left tackle. It's going to be Colton Miller. Left guard, and again, this was early in practice, right? Left guard, John Simpson, Andre James at center, Leatherwood moving inside to right guard, and Brandon Parker to right tackle, which means Jermaine Illuminor, who's actually played pretty decently, uh, will be out, but my guess is there's going to be more of a rotation. And frankly, I think that's the way to go. They've got to open up competition here. So if Nick Martin's ready to go, he should be in the competition. So... Good for the Raiders. This is the way it works, man. Not everything is set on every offensive line, and I would say from the Raiders fan standpoint, they should be happy that there's more of an open competition. Don't freak out. Teams go through offensive line changes all the time. Hell, the uh, you know the, the football team that I cover the you know the closest uh, UNLV is going through right now. You know they thought they had their line set, and you know their sophomore right tackle Tiger Shanks is having a lot of trouble with the you know speed on the edge. And last game, um, yeah, he didn't play. Part of the first half, they needed them late because Julio Garcia got tossed from the game, and then Shanks had to go back in, but they're moving guys all over the place. So sometimes your line is not set, and we knew going in they were making big changes, so uh, it was to be expected that there wasn't going to be some you know set starting five the entire year. And then on top of that, both of their guards have been out or are out for the season with Incognito and also Denzel Good going down for the season with the torn ACL. We're going to talk to uh, Tom Waddle here in just a couple minutes. want to remind you this weekend, another great post-game Sunday party. We do this for every uh, Raiders game after the game, right across the street from Allegiant. Crazy Horse 3 is the spot. Everyone with a ticket to the game, you get free entry. Hosting the party this weekend from comp is uh, Big Greg Salerno. He's going to be out there. They've got awesome food. Uh, that includes the uh, Sunrise Burger, the Crispy Chicken Sandwich, tons of selection on pizza like the Spicy Italian. They've got... Great sliders, seasoned wings. Uh, you got all the chicks out there like Tessa and Cameron and Yada and Kat and Anya. And then it's also a great sports viewing environment because they've got 24 120-inch HD screens all over the place. Um, and, and great happy hour drink specials. I was there a couple weeks ago and took advantage of that. We're going to have prizes. Again, Craig Salerno. Uh, Greg Sillerner will be on the scene from comp. He'll be there from 4 to 7, 47, 47. And you know what, ladies are welcome too. I saw a ton of couples walking in. Opposing fans are welcome. So I'm sure there'll be some Bears fans walking in. But I saw a lot of couples walking in. Dolphin fan couples, Raider fan couples walking into Crazy Horse 3. Really cool place. Good sports bar environment. And you got the, uh, the Chiefs and the Bills going at it with all those screens around Crazy Horse 3. Check it out on Sunday from 4 to 7 with comp and ESPN Las Vegas.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.
3: It's one of the most challenging defenses we'll face, um, you know, all season. And uh, you love that, you know, especially coming off a loss. You know, your eyes get opened a little bit to some things that maybe we could have done better. And you get excited for the challenge that, you know, is out in front of you the next time. And uh, we get to do it at home. So that's good, too.
0: Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. It's Cofield and Company.
1: Well, we'll find out on Sunday if Derek Carr loves the challenge because the Bears come in with a really good defense that has been getting after the quarterback. Tom Otto knows all about that. He played for the Bears. He's a big radio star uh, in Chicago. He's going to be here in Vegas for the game. Tom, it's Steve and Adam here in Vegas.
4: How are you? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I can't wait to get on the plane and come out.
1: Let's do it. Let's do it. So are you guys actually doing a live show, what, down at Circa?
4: Yes, we are. We were scheduled to do it tomorrow, but because of the White Sox, we carry the White Sox with the home of the White Sox, and that game is going to be on, so we're actually going to do our show on Saturday. So it was nice. just a day later than we anticipated.
1: Do you know about Circa? Have you seen pictures? It's pretty fantastic.
4: <laughs> I have seen pictures. I'm looking forward to it. You know, Old guy in Vegas, it's not a good combination, but I'm going to try my best to stay out of trouble.
1: Oh, we know some old guys who rip it up in Vegas, so you you could do some damage if you wanted to. Don't worry about that. Vegas has something for every age group. Um, Do we expect – what are we talking about? Hundreds? Thousands? What do we think in terms of Bears fans traveling to Vegas for the game?
4: I certainly don't want to uh, annoy or anger any of the Raiders fans in Las Vegas, but much like you all had home-field advantage in SoFi this past week, I think there's a chance you may find yourself with almost a similar situation – with Bears fans, because I'm a notoriously uh, well-traveled fan base, so yeah, there will be a, a huge contingent coming out from the Windy City, especially now that the rookie quarterback is under center. Well,
3: I guess the next question off that is, will it matter? Uh, will it matter that they've uh, they've
4: segued to Justin Fields? I think that you know, I, I think it matters from this standpoint that the future is now. Uh, I never really believed this Bears team was a a real threat to compete for anything. I have them more of an eight and nine team and and, and I th- I looked at twenty the twenty twenty one season after they drafted Justin Fields um, as a as a year to see whether or not this young man can be the future. We've been wandering in the quarterback desert for decades and there's a lot of hope and anticipation that this young man is going to be that guy that takes us where we haven't been before.
3: Is it I mean I, I agree. I thought it, I thought it was insane when I heard Andy Dalton was still QB one on Monday, and yeah. the course was changed. Um, but is it a sign? Like, do they think he gives them a better chance to win now, or is this? Hey, it's time to prepare for the future. Because I, I don't, I don't know what this decision signals. Well, I
4: would hope that they think that both both of those issues are true. Uh, right. I, I think that Justin Scott does have a skill set that. Is different than Andy Dalton, and and if you line up and you try to run the offense that they tried to run against the Cleveland Browns, a very good defensive front, you'd probably be better off with Andy Dalton because in in over the course of ten years in the league, he's seen pretty much everything. It probably wouldn't be as rattled, but they did the right thing, the appropriate thing, the following week this past Sunday against the Detroit Lions, albeit a much lesser opponent. They they changed the way they protected. They focused on running the football. They ran it thirty nine times. They completely changed the offensive game plan. So if you can guarantee me that they're going to maintain this dedication to the game plan we saw Sunday against the Lions, then I think you can make a case that the young guy possibly can be your best chance to win.
1: I feel like all I hear on Matt Nagy is bashing. And, you know, a lot of it happened on ESPN where I thought the allegations of Nagy screwing over fields on purpose against the Browns is just stupid. Um, I mean, Nagy does get. You just mentioned they change things. He should get some credit for seeing what's going on and realizing, hey, I got to change it up a little bit.
4: Yeah, I, look, I, I think the concept or the suggestion that he was sabotaging anything was yeah. was nonsense. Um, look, I think you can you can make a better argument for incompetence than you can for sabotage. Um, I, I think some of the criticism was warranted with regard to his dedication to his style of offense that really didn't work over the last two and a half years. They had to modify it for Mitch Trubisky, albeit a guy with a limited skill set. But they had, to, they had to, to adjust what they were doing. And finally, at the end of last year, they did have moderate success with a new approach. Um, you know, I, I, I think the reluctance to, to change what you're asking your team to do. Like We were running a lot of five-man protection. We're a below-average offensive line crew. You can't run five man protection, especially against a great front like the Cleveland Browns bring every Sunday, with five men, you know, trying to protect your quarterback. So, they went back into the lab, so to speak, and, and changed the way they're doing things. and And I think his reluctance to do that sooner rather than later, I think, is something that deserved a lot of criticism, to be honest.
1: Tom Waddles with us. He played wide receiver in the NFL. Give us the wide receiver perspective on working with a guy like Field versus working with a guy like Dalton.
4: Uh, you're going to know with Fields that the play is going to be extended because he's always going to be able to keep things alive a little bit longer. You're always going to be in that scramble drill. Um, I think it, 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 you know the ball is probably going to come out quicker with Andy, so you're going to have to have your head around a little bit sooner. I think that you'll know – you kind of know the differences heading into the game week because, the, as I mentioned, the game plan will be designed a little bit differently. I think they'll allow things to develop a little longer with Justin back there. Um and he's going to take shots downfield. So, I mean, there's a lot of times when you think you're running into coverage and a quarterback will take the less risky throw and check it down. That's something a veteran is more likely to do. I think you'll see with Justin Fields, it was his approach back at Ohio state as well as he's somebody that's willing to push the ball downfield. So um, I would expect if you're a wide receiver, you, you come in with a mentality that no play is ever dead. And, if you're 20 to 25 yards downfield, don't think you're just running a pattern for the sake of being a decoy. The ball may come to you.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's stick on this theme. Um, you know, you were a guy who was kind of a, you know an average-sized receiver. We played a bite from Keyshawn Johnson two weeks ago. They've, they've engaged with Stephen A. on this debate about Derek Carr and if he's a lead or not. And Keyshawn, who was a big guy, Keyshawn was saying yeah. he actually favors Derek Carr because, for the most part, Carr is in the pocket, and he likes a guy like Carr better than Russell Wilson because uh Keyshawn didn't like when the plays got extended. I thought that was a, a really weird thing. I'm like, don't you just want to make plays wherever? But I, if you're a big guy, you don't want to have to run around. Is that what he was saying?
4: Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, look, with no disrespect meant to Derek Carr, I think he's had a great start to this season. I think he's a better player than a lot of people maybe think. Like, if you're choosing Derek Carr over Russell Wilson, I, I'm going to be on the other side of that that selection. Uh, <laughs> The theory he's using, yeah, I would, I would think that the longer a quarterback could keep a play alive, the more likely it is that you can find a way to break free and, and make a big play. Look, I was never asked to run more than twenty yards downfield, so I was just running back and forth sideline to sideline. It was never a threat down the field, so my role was a little bit different. But you know, like some people are very, you know, system oriented, and 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 my role is to run sixteen yards and come in, and if, if, if anything is. You know, if anything changes that, they're not comfortable. I would prefer somebody that can keep a play alive, to be honest.
3: Is Khalil Mack playing?
4: Good question. I don't believe he practiced today, nor did Akeem Hicks. So uh, that's the one thing that we've been able to hang our hat here uh, on here in Chicago, at least through the first four weeks, is that the most consistent part of what what this team has done has been rush the passer. I think they lead the league with a, a collection of 15 sacks. Robert Quinn has... Been everything this year that we hoped he was last year, but wasn't. Uh, Khalil's been battling some nagging injuries for a couple of years now. Was still able to get to, get to the quarterback, Jared Goff last week, but, uh, did not practice today, nor did Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks went out after the first play of the game last week. So, I mean, if I was a betting man and coming to Vegas, that better be, uh, my thought would be that it's much more likely that, that, uh, Mack would play than Hicks.
3: How important is it, and and I guess what would the process be for getting Allen Robinson more involved? So Mooney obviously has a ton of talent; uh, they like his future, but his future kind of arrived last week. And Allen Robinson is such a talented player, and he's just kind of there right now.
4: Yeah, he's been frustrated. I, I think that uh, you know that goes without saying. I again, I think that the, the complete overhaul of what they were asking guys to do offensively. The difference between week three and week four was. Was ridiculously obvious, uh, and Allen became more part of of the offense. They only threw it 17 times on Sunday in the win against the Lions. So right now, especially with a, a young quarterback, they're going to focus on running the football and and work the play action off of off of what they're doing in the running game. As I said, they ran it 39 times for almost 190 yards. So you know you got to be patient, but the ball ultimately will come to you. Um, you know, Allen was more of a favorite of, of Mitch Trubisky and and, and uh, Nick Foles at times last year. Uh, Darnell Mooney's a guy that can stretch a field, and we found out very quickly that Justin likes to push it downfield. So, I, I you know, I, I would just ask Allen to be patient. I think the ball will come to him as this passing game develops with the rookie quarterback.
3: I guess in your mind, what is the ceiling for this Bears team? Yeah, I thought all along, as I said earlier, that this is a
4: team that it's still a mediocre team i think they're an eight and nine team i don't believe they're a playoff team they snuck in obviously last year with the added wild card uh, they were eight and eight i thought they were closer to a six and ten team than they were at ten and six team um, while they have gotten quarterback their secondary to me is suspect jalen johnson a second year corner has been very very good but there's not a lot of depth and talent Outside of him, the offensive line has become a true liability regardless of who the quarterback is. So um, yeah, I think they're a middle-of-the-road team. Unfortunately, we're in salary cap hell here in Chicago, and we're like the third oldest (laughs) roster. So regardless of sport, the last thing you want to be is a team that finishes every year right about 500. So uh, unfortunately, from my perspective, that's where we find ourselves.
1: Enjoy the trip out here. Enjoy it when you're on the ground in Vegas. Big fan of your show. Excellent show, Waddle and Sylvie, and uh, thanks for the time today.
4: You got it. Thanks for having me. I
1: appreciate it. There he is, Tom Waddle. Played wide receiver for the Bears. He's now doing uh, afternoons on ESPN 1000. There's more questions I had for him, but time was short. Is there – listen, I think Andy Dalton was just trying to puff his chest out a little bit, like I'm still here, those comments early in the season. Would you move him? You probably can't get anything decent for Foles. No, why? We're going to talk. Well, we're going to talk about the Browns' injury issues with Mayfield. The Browns may want to get a backup. Would you trade, you know, basically nothing, a conditional pick to get Andy Dalton as a backup just in case?
3: Well, that's what I'm saying. I think a team would should be interested, right, in bringing him in as a backup. I'm saying, why would you get rid of him? Because you have Foles. You're not going to get what? anything though. Well, my my point is,
1: when I said he was puffing out his chest about, like, my time is now. Like, is he going to be – we know there's been some quarterbacks who have kind of been a-holes about, you know, being a mentor. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're going to – I don't know that he's going to be that way. I'm just saying sure. if there if that possibility exists, I don't want him around if he's going to be disrupted. Yeah,
3: if you're – if in the building you sense that he's he's a distraction or a problem, then yeah, sure, of course. Um, But, I mean, I think – you know, Right now, they, they seem to say, hey, look, it's a guy that wants to start, just like everybody wants to start, and he should be fighting for a job, and he should be saying it's his job. And now that he's not, he can accept that. And if he can't, if he's not accepting it, if he's pouting and not helping, then sure. But I would say probably more likely just cut him. I don't know what you're going to get in return, so just move on.
0: Watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. The Baltimore Colts host the Indianapolis Colts for a primetime showdown. wait, hold on a moment. Sorry, I'm a child of the 70s, and when I see the Colts, I think of Baltimore. So, sorry, let's try it again. It's the Indianapolis Colts heading back to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. You can bet Baltimore will be alive for this one, but at least we know one thing that's easy to remember. It's Monday. Cofield and company from 2 to 5, live from Twin Peaks, immediately followed by the game on ESPN Las Vegas.